I had the privilege of speaking with Elizabeth Herrin on how you can better understand the project's life cycle on your next project. Elizabeth is a project professional and has also authored several project management books, including a recent book, Managing Multiple Projects. How project managers can balance priorities, manage expectations and increase productivity. Elizabeth spoke about how projects flow from setting the project goals and eventually to project completion. Do have a listen to our conversation. But it's also going to cost us money to keep those people employed doing that work when maybe a better solution would be that they go on to a higher priority other project. They might talk about oh, we've got a vision to transform the way that we deliver customer service and we're going to revolutionize this, that and the other. But actually, yeah. the goal might be to launch a brand new customer service portal online so our customers can access support 24-7. It really helps people to understand why they're doing the work. What's the point of it? Hello. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you? <laughs> I'm all right. Thank you. I made it in. Oh, yeah. Good to have you here. And you too. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Yeah, you're welcome. So it's really nice to have you on the show and I'm oh. honoured. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. So I, I would love to discuss a lot of things with you today, now that you're on the show. You know, it's not easy to come by someone like you. I'm glad I have you now. So, That's all right. Yeah, so, so I would love to ask you. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to answer all your questions and um, yeah, to chat about project management because I feel like I could probably talk about that all day. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, of course, I know. And I, <laughs> And I know there's certain things that you're probably more interested in, so I'm interested to to yeah, see what okay. you know what you and your listeners are going to find the most interesting, really. Yes, thank you. So I would like to discuss with you today is about uh, project life cycles, and mm-hmm. you know I I read about your training about project life cycles, and you know I took some points from your lectures. Okay. So you you talked about um, setting of goals, uh, mm-hmm. defining scope, uh, creating plan doing the work and then reviewing and learning for next time, right? Yes. Yeah. So I, I would love you to put, you know, to do a kind of walkthrough for me and my listeners today. At first, we can talk about the, you know, I don't know how you would love to do it. Maybe talk about it one after the other or have a oh, kind right. of run through. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Let's start at the beginning. So people, um, people listening are probably working in all kinds of different types of projects, but that life cycle that you've just outlined there is pretty typical for getting most bits of work done whether that is organizing a holiday for your family or launching a new product or doing some big software implementation for thousands of people you have to start with what it is that you actually want to do and that's that setting goals point that you start that you mentioned just then so should we start there yeah please we can start there So at the beginning, you've got to think about what goals do you want to set for yourself and where do you want to go? What does the end look like? That's really important for us as as project leaders, because whether it's a small project, whether it's a big project, you need to know what done looks like. What is it that I'm trying to get to and how will I know that I have finished and completed my work? So that's really what I think of as the goals. And you can have as many goals as you like, really. But broadly, you don't want to, you don't want too many because you then find the whole work becomes very overwhelming. So it might be 
um, a mixture of maybe a vision statement, a sentence or two about what goals you want, and then you might want to drill down into some success criteria or specific objectives that you want to reach. Yeah, I've always found that goals come naturally from the business case. So if you've written a business case about what the work is that you want to do, or we've been given a business case and been told to implement it, you've probably got there some details around the end goals, what the what the objectives are, what the result might look like, what the deliverables might look like. So if you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, project manager working in an organization, you'll have this sense of there's probably been someone who's come up with an idea. It might have been you, it might have been your boss, it might have been someone else in the organization. And the person with the idea will often be able to articulate that for you. Right. And then you can just create realistic, reasonable goals. And if you've got a bit of leeway, especially if it's your own project for your own business, you might want to start with a goal that would satisfy you, that would be okay. So if you're launching a new product, you might say, we'll be happy if we sell 50 in the first month. And then you might have a goal where you're a little bit more ambitious. And you might say, our goal would be to sell 100. And then you'd have a gigantic stretch target, which might be our goal is to sell 200. And so you've got different targets within where you want to where you want to reach and it might be that you start off trying just to hit hit one of those targets and see how you go and maybe the stretch target becomes something you can achieve yeah so it's you mean it's more advisable for uh, the business owner to you know to tell you about the objective of the project itself you know Mm -hmm. do do you prefer before the business owner doing that for the project manager which one is the best the best for a project i would say often the idea for the goal comes from the business owner, the business sponsor, the person who's come up with the idea themselves. But they're not always brilliant at writing it down into a sentence or two that can then be communicated to other people. And that's where they might need some help. So they might talk about, oh, we've got a vision to transform the way that we deliver customer service and we're going to revolutionize this, that and the other. But actually the goal might be to launch a brand new customer service portal online so our customers can access support 24-7 or something like that. So you might have to take the the mission, the vision, the idea behind it and translate it into something that becomes almost a strap line for the work that you're doing so that you can right. easily communicate the goal of the project to other people. Okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. And so is there a kind of a, a way to, to set goals? You know, is there a kind of a, uh, a template to set goals for my project? Maybe a standard way of setting goals for my project or how can a project manager go around that? How would you um, advise? I, I think for a goal is something that represents where you want to go. So your goal might be to improve customer service over the next 12 yeah. months, for example going on with that example again but then you would have specific objectives that would say to decrease the wait time when people ring in on the telephone to five seconds or to make sure that we are staffed 24 7 a day to launch a new messaging bot so that people can get answers to their faq easily without having to call us so your goal can summarize all of those things which is we want to be better at customer service and then some specific objectives would give you the, the measurable discrete specifics yeah. that you are trying to achieve okay. does that make sense yeah it's me uh, all right so but uh, you would advise that if a project goal is well documented you know so that every team member or every person on the team can see what is to be achieved on the goal on, on the project i mean right mm. yes i think so because i think it really helps people to understand why they're doing the work 
what's the point of it all and if you give someone a task and just say code this write that design this launch whatever it can be quite disorientating isn't really the right word but it's you're not connected to why you're not connected to the reason why this project is happening whereas the goals help with that because everyone can get behind the idea of let's have better customer service or let's launch a new product line or let's improve our sustainability over the next two years by doing xyz and becoming carbon neutral or carbon getting to carbon zero so the, the goals become the big reason why the project is happening in the first place and articulate the value behind doing the work in the first place and then I think people can feel that they are part of something that is achieving strategic objectives or they're achieving what their business needs them to do for that organization to take the next step forward so I think it's really important for people to understand the goals and the vision because it connects their work which might be doing a bit of software testing or you know going to a meeting or something like that with actually yeah. the, the purpose behind why the work is happening in the first place fantastic thanks for that so it's you, you said that it's very very important you know to set project goals so if what could go wrong if a project goal is not set properly? Is there a way that can completely damage the objective of the project itself? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think it probably, I'm just trying to think if that's ever happened to me. <laughs> Nothing springs to mind, which I think is a good thing. Um, but the, the risk that you're running is that the work gets confusing. People are saying, well, are we doing this because... Are we, are we doing it? Why are we doing it? How does this fit together? What are these different yeah. parts? And there might be some miscommunication around what our objective is. To give you the flip side of that, I worked on a team which was quite a small team, but we had one goal, which was to install new software in radiology departments in 20, 30 hospitals. Oh. I can't remember exactly how many now. But every day we woke up, we went to work and we worked on that. Can we get this new software installed in these radiology departments across these this group of hospitals? And every decision we made came back to, does it help us get the software installed in the hospitals? <laughs> if it doesn't, <laughs> we're not doing it. So yeah. the benefit of having that clear goal is you know where you're going, you know exactly what path you should be on, and all your decision making can be framed under that. And if your goal is something woolly, like be better, mm -hmm. you think, well, what, what does that mean? How am I supposed to be better? What areas is what does even better look like? Does that look like faster, stronger, taller? You know, more, will we earn more money? So something vague really doesn't allow people to see the end goal and see the journey. Right. Yeah, thank you. I think that that's well understood now. You know, you've told us what could go wrong, why it's necessary to do, your clear setting of goals and all that. That's, mm. After setting your goals for the project, I think the next thing to do is to define your scope and what you need to do yes. and what you don't have to do, right? So yes. can you give a kind of a brief um, explanation on that? Like what does it really mean to define scope on your project? What it means to define scope on your project is to get everyone to agree, agree what it is you're actually doing that will help you achieve that goal. So coming back to this customer service example, which I completely made up, but let's say our right. goal is to improve customer service, then mm -hmm. we want to say our scope will be the work that we will do in order to make that happen. So it might yeah. be designing that messaging bot that I mentioned it might be recruiting some staff it might be doing training for the people who provide customer service now so that they can be better at serving customers it might be outsourcing customer service to an agency that does it all for us it could be anything but the goals uh, the goal gives us the end result and the scope is what tasks do we need to do to make that happen and the reason that we define it is because you need to know what the work is because the work 
tasks then tell you how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost and what support you need to get it done what resources right. do you need to bring in in order to make it happen so that defining scope piece is is really often again if you've got a business case you'll have some big pieces of the scope probably written down in there because it'll tell you what the expectation is what's being delivered at the end but that's what you're trying to get to really is what are we doing and also what are we not doing? Not doing, yeah. Because those out-of-scope things are really important. And that helps with communication later because people will go, oh, uh, uh, why aren't we doing that automated telephony line or sending text messages to customers? And you can say, because they're specifically out-of-scope because it costs too much money or it takes too long or we're doing it in phase two. And right. then people know exactly what the boundaries are of this work. Uh, I think there's a term that is being used, um, scope script. Right. Oh yes. Yeah, scope creep. Yeah. So, what what does it mean to have scope? <laughs> scope creep is where the edges of your scope bleed out into other areas, which is basically oh. someone saying, "Can you just add this in? Can you just make it purple instead of blue? Yeah. Can you just Can you do this? Can you do that? <laughs> exactly. Oh, it won't take five minutes, and you just go, "Yeah, yeah. Well, I agree. It won't take five minutes." And then two days later, you're still working on it. Yeah. And that costs more money, it takes more resource, it delivers something that perhaps takes the focus of the team away from the critical features that you're supposed to be delivering. And yeah, the easier thing to do is to say no, which is quite hard, isn't it, to go to the, yeah. the customer and yeah. say, no, no thanks, not going to do that. But you can put in a change request. So I think scope creep is uncontrolled changes to the scope. And the risk yeah. for that is, God, I was on a project once and it just never ended because every every week the sponsor would say, oh, we're going to add in this. So we're going to do that. You think, when am I going to when am I going to leave this? <laughs> when, when, when is it finished? <laughs> and that's if if you do controlled scope changes and you, you know, I work mainly in an iterative. In, oh, sorry. I work mainly in a predictive environment where yeah. we would be doing change requests, change the scope, bring in whatever new thing it is or sometimes we take stuff out of scope and we update the plans and the schedules and everything else based on that but in a more um, iterative agile environment changing yeah. the scope might happen because you add more things to the backlog and you do your backlog mm -hmm. grooming every two weeks and pick out the most mm -hmm. important critical features then and you, you you lock down what you're going to build for the next couple of weeks yeah. so there's a lot more there's, there's different ways of managing with managing new things that that come in um, but you want to avoid scope creep if you can. Have you ever been in that situation where your projects have just got lots of new changes? Yeah, yeah, really. It happens. Mm. I think it's and really common, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is common. And it's, it's a sad experience, really, because you, you never get the things that is necessarily done. You know, you do some other things, unnecessary things. You know, you leave what is necessary on your project and you go around doing some other things, which is which is very sad, but it happens. Yes. Yeah. And I think one of the things I've learned to do over the years is I, I try not to say no, I say not yet. So not great yet. idea. If <laughs> that, we want to put, <laughs> if we put it into the project now, the impact will be it will take us two extra weeks. It will cost us an extra million pounds, whatever. Yeah. So that process can still happen. But if it's an idea that you just know will never get through because you're close to delivery, for example, doing changes towards the end of a project is always more complicated than doing them at the beginning. So if it's something yeah. that you know just isn't going to go anywhere, you can always say, that's a great idea, but not yet, and not for this phase. Enough. Let's have a phase two. <laughs> Let's iterate our solution in the future and um, build as we go. So you don't, you, there are ways of managing those personalities and, and the people who are 
asking for new things. Yeah. Yeah. So like like you said now, so so one of the downsides of not setting boundaries on your on your scope is, you know, it's never ends. Your project mm-hmm. never ends, which is which is a terrible thing to happen to your project. So are, are there other things that could happen on your project if you don't control your scope? Well, the cost goes up. It's not just about the time, but it's also the investment that the organization is making into doing the work. Even if it doesn't actually cost you real money, like you're not buying a service, you're using internal staff to deliver it. Those staff still cost the organization money and they could be working on something else. So the organization needs to make a choice. Do we want our people to be focused on this for longer? And that's going to push the delivery dates of the project out but it's also going to cost us money to keep those people employed doing that work when maybe a better solution would be that they go on to a higher priority other project but they can't do that while they're caught up on this so there's it costs more and um often i find as well stakeholders are not so happy that you can give them everything that they want they and say yes to all the changes but they'll still keep coming up with things that that they want and it doesn't really ever feel that they're satisfied so and talking them through the why do we have change management why do we do change control why why can't i say yes to everything and helping them understand that at the beginning of the project i think helps manage their expectations about the project process and what to expect and then they feel mm-hmm. more confident in the the team's ability to get things done yeah thank you i would love to create a an episode for scope alone you know it's, there's a lot to talk about scope right yes there really is that would be such a good episode to to have i'd listen to that it's yeah it's, there's so many things and all the all kinds of different projects have different challenges yeah right yeah thank you so after you've created your after you defined your scope, right, you can you can now start creating the plan for the project, right? That's right. So I, I know a lot of, a lot of people, uh, they confuse creating a plan with creating a schedule. Can you help differentiate between these two? Well, the plan is bigger. It covers more around ways of working. How are we going to actually do the work? And the schedule is the timeline. But you're right. It's And even I do it. I call it a plan when I talk to my team on a daily basis. <laughs> What's on the plan? What's the next task on the plan? So yeah, we do it. We, better, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And we, but, but technically, you're absolutely right. In project management jargon terms, a plan and a schedule are, are different things. So for the, the plan is, in my mind, ways of working. How are we going to do it? What do we need to be prepared for so that when it happens, we just pull out the plan and we know how to respond because we've already thought about how we're going to deal with these situations. And the schedule is what's happening when and who's doing the task. Right. Okay. Okay. So what, what are the main things that you, know, you are planning for in the project? I know you plan for time, you plan for cost, right? Yes. Can you expand it on what you're planning for in your project? You'd also plan for resources. So what's your strategy for getting people? How are you going to get them? Do you have to hire them? Do you use internal resources? How long do you need them for? What happens when you need them for longer? So a resource management plan would help answer some of those questions. And the good thing about creating these kind of plans is that once you've done it once, chances are on your next project is going to be very very similar so you can copy and paste yeah. all the yeah. stuff or you might find in a larger organization that's got a pmo and that, and that manages multiple projects you yeah. might find that they already have an organization kind of wide. exactly yeah. there oh, might right. be a cost management plan for example that you can just say in your project plan we refer to the pmo's cost management plan because it doesn't change yeah um so you talked about 
managing the tasks, scheduling the work and the money and the resources. You might also want to plan communications. So right. what are we sharing with people? Who are we sharing with? What's our stakeholder engagement approach going to look like? Who are our stakeholders? How do we get them involved? What comms do we send? When? What does that schedule of work look like? How do we go about getting communications approved? What's the process for that? And quality? How do we know if our work is good enough? What point are we going to do assessments? What assessments do we do on the work? Do we want to put some peer reviews in? Are we going to sample every 30th um, customer service com telephone call and find out if the call meets these five criteria? So there's things that you can think about to know how do we know if we're doing a quality job and how do we know if we're delivering a result that meets our quality standards? What are our quality standards? So all that stuff goes in a quality plan. And then you'd probably have one about risk. How do we deal with risk? What's our approach there? And again, that's probably something that would be the same for every project. Uh, and changes as well. When a change comes in, what's our process for dealing with the change? Who needs to get involved? How do we get that change approved? What might we do with it? So that would affect the, the scope probably. Uh, what else do we think that might be useful there? Yeah, I think managing stakeholders is also part of what you can plan for, right? Mm, yes okay. yeah and you might need a procurement plan for example how oh, do we yeah. buy the things True. not not all projects buy stuff so you might not need one but the, so there might be other things that are useful for you to create to help you think about what will our ways of working be but that you might not need them on every project yeah thank you so it's just about um, knowing what to do and when it happens what are you going to do about it so that's kind of planning for for the project right yes that's how i think of it but one, I have to say, once, you know, the more the more you projects you do, the more standard most of that becomes, especially yeah. if you're working with a single organization. If you're a freelancer and you're working with lots of different organizations, it might be quite different. But a procurement right. plan might just say, we're going to buy this thing. It doesn't have to be 10 pages. So you document it. But one of the things I found works best is I will just have one document called the project management plan and a paragraph about each thing and often link out to the organization's approach for doing risk management or the budget. Right. For example, I'll say we will work with the finance team using the finance department's templates or something All like right. that. So mm -hmm. you don't have to make these documents very big it can be quite a quick thing to put together unless your project needs it because that's the other thing is you have to tailor how you approach the management of the work to fit the yeah. size of the project the risk of the project the scale the importance <laughs> and what your what your stakeholders will tolerate because most of mine will read a project you know <laughs> yeah, give them a project quality plan they'd go like okay right read it i don't really know what i'm looking at <laughs> it's fine yeah. elizabeth you just do it <laughs> <laughs> i know right <laughs> no, that happens a lot too really that happens a lot <laughs> Oh, we, cool. we create a lot of paperwork in project management don't we so i'm right. all for streamlining it to making it really useful for what stakeholders and the project team actually need yeah yeah right uh, thank you for explaining what it means to you know create a plan on, on the project it's a nice one yeah thank you and so now i'm going to doing the work itself you know you've you've set your goals you've defined your scope you've created your plan and then now is the time to to do work you know. exactly we get down how to do you doing start it. it yeah how do you start it well the ironic thing is chances are you've probably already started it because i'm 
I mean, I don't know what your project sponsors have been like, but most of the executives I've worked with have always been really, really keen to get going. As soon as the idea has been approved, it's like, right, when can we start doing the thing? And for you to turn around and say, well, actually, it's going to take me two weeks to write all these project plans. And then I'm going to do some scope workshops. And then we're going to estimate the work and create our timeline. And we probably won't start doing anything (laughs) for another (laughs) three months. They're like, ah, no. They want the project to start immediately. Exactly. to the work man <laughs> <laughs> yep so chances are the, the main part of the doing happens after you've you've done the planning you've done the prep you've created a schedule wow. you know what tasks you need to do you've allocated yeah. resources to those tasks so people know what's their responsibility but yeah. in real life you you're planning and scheduling and doing the work probably with a bit of an overlap because some things will be pretty easy especially if you're working with subject matter experts who do this thing on a regular basis they, they probably can get started on some of the tasks yeah. straight away because they just, they can do it. They know that it needs to be done. They're professionals. They're just going to get on and do it. So yeah. yes, there, should, there normally is a moment where you sign off your schedule and you sign off your plans and you're happy to go that you say, right, we move into execution. Yeah. And if, you're, if your project lifecycle uses gate reviews, then there will be a formal moment where everybody says, Yes, we commit to, we know what it is that we're trying to do. We commit to doing that. And now we're going to go and the work starts. But, yeah. you know, what happens in paper and project life cycles for some of the, the larger projects might not always trickle down to what it's like to do smaller projects, especially yeah. if it's your own business. Um, yeah. Then you, you want to get on with the work as quickly as possible. Yeah, of course. But, you know, yes, you asked me, you asked me what you should be doing. I just, so the um, things to consider would be, do we have all the resources lined up? Is everyone knowing what we're doing? Is everyone bought into the idea? And then once we're clear and we're not going to waste any time and there's not going to be any miscommunication, then I think we yeah. can go. Okay, okay. So, so do you think there are still some planning works that goes on at this time on the project? Or yes. are we done with the planning already? I wouldn't say so. I mean, it would be nice if every project went to plan 100% and you never had to go back and look at your timelines again. But I mean, realistically, how often does that happen? (laughs) Not in my world. So (laughs) the the effort of planning and scheduling and adapting to change and keeping your schedules up to date is ongoing. And there are likely to be changes and different requests or you know, we had a project where someone was off for a couple of weeks and that messed up all the timelines. So there's constant effort to try to reprioritize, fit work around other people's work, work with the resources that you've got. And if someone is out of the business for a while, deal with that situation, um, manage people's workloads and all that stuff. So there is ongoing work for planning and scheduling, definitely, I would say. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. So uh, I also want to ask if there's a kind of a checklist for, you know, before you start the work. Are there some other things you, you feel like, okay, yeah, before we start the work, we must have done this, we must have done that. Maybe you have a checklist for that. Do you... I do have a checklist for that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Whether I'm going to be able to find it quickly enough, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I do have a checklist for what happens at the end of planning that yeah. would then help you know if you are on the right track for doing the next bits of the work. Um, because I think that's, here we go. I think that's quite important and it saves time, doesn't it? The more you can yeah, put into templates and lists, the better mm-hmm. it is for you because you can just, just get on with it and make those make those decisions on the fly because you can just work through a list. It standardized things and makes it easier for you to, 
um, not get lost in the way. So I would say at the end of planning, before we go into actually doing the work, we would have had some planning meetings. We would have brainstormed all the things that need to be delivered. So creating the input of the scope with the experts in the room. We would have prioritised the requirements as well. So we know what we're doing and we know which ones are the important ones. Right. Um, Roles and responsibilities. Make sure that we're all clear on who is doing what. You should have risk tolerances, a plan about how to manage risk a plan around communications. Your budget needs to be signed off because you can't really do anything unless you've got access to the money. And then some some admin-y bits, like make sure you've got your team meetings booked in regularly. Make sure that you've got an electronic filing system so that you know where you're storing your documents, you know who's in charge of taking the minutes um, from, from that kind of thing. You've got some time booked out each week to update your project status report. And you you've met all of the people on the team really and i mean there's there's loads and loads of things that we could do but those are probably the the big things yeah okay yeah what would you add to that yeah it's fantastic yeah (laughs) that's quite insightful and uh i love your explanation on that so i can also go and create a kind of checklist for my project you Mm -hmm. know (laughs) so as you have said i'll go ahead and do mine which will i believe it will help me a lot too on my project yeah, thank you for that, Elizabeth. So we've really come a long way, but before we go, there's the last part of the cycle. That is reviewing and learning for next time. That's the form of retrospective for, for your project. So can you uh, run us through that? Yes, I would say that's a really important part, but it's not something that only has to happen at the end. Traditionally, the project life cycle ends with this period of reflection and we've done our work and now we look back and capture our lessons learned and then hopefully just not just capture, we actually learn the lessons learned. But you could be doing that ongoing improvement all the way through the life cycle, and you really should. So at the end of each phase, it's a good idea to to do it. If you're working in an agile environment, it's built into the um, regular retrospectives that the team will be having anyway. And you don't have to work in an agile environment to take advantage of the fact that you can just check in with people about how it's going. But, But you're right, there is a formal moment where the project closes. We look at what we've delivered. We compare that back to what we said we were going to do. So yeah, we loop it back can't. into those goals. Right. And then we say, did we do it? If we didn't, why not? What can we learn from that? If we did, that's great. How did we manage yeah. to make that happen? And what are we going to repeat next time? Because it obviously worked out quite well. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's that um, activity. But there's also quite a lot of closed down activity that you do at this point of a project as well, like making sure all the bills have been paid, making sure that you're celebrating the success that you've done, transitioning the team off into their next project so they can take the lessons with them and you know, benefit from mm-hmm. that experience on their on their next bits of work. The next do. project, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, right. So, who are those people involved in this retrospective? Is it the whole team or is it some selective members of the team? I would say the whole team, but you might want to hold the meeting separately. So on a couple of projects I've been working on, we have those meetings, but we've split the participants. So to give you an example, we had a te- an IT project. The IT team got together and we, we did a lessons learned exercise, reflection yeah. exercise with them. And we talked about the technology and how the tech team worked and how all of that fitted together, which was 
not super interesting for the other stakeholders. So we actually have two lessons learned for that project. Oh, One okay. for the people who were not in technology and they got together. We did a lessons learned then. Then we had a more technical discussion around what worked, what didn't work with the IT, with the, with the technical team. And oh, then okay. I wrote up the notes into one document and shared it with everybody. So oh, it wasn't that we wanted to keep the results secret from each other, but mm -hmm. it was just a case of making the best use of people's time and okay. to have a marketing person or you know, a finance okay. person sitting through a two hour workshop where IT people are, are talking yeah. about their work in great detail, which yeah. they need to do because it's useful for everybody, but not necessarily a good use of time for a finance person. So we just want to be uh, respectful really of what people are going to get out of each conversation and try yeah. to factor that in. And also the other thing I've found with the lessons learned sessions I've done is that if you have your most senior stakeholders in the room, people are sometimes a little bit reticent about sharing and they mm -hmm. might not tell you the truth. So mm -hmm. you may choose to have a separate lessons learned with your project sponsor or your executives and get their yeah. feedback on how it went from their side and another conversation with people who were, were doing the work day to day or the process owners or the um, the end customers yeah. so that you you create an environment where every voice can be heard and if that means taking some people out of the room <laughs> then, um, yeah. then so be it you can always bring yeah. everybody back for a summarizing session just you know yeah. have half an hour just to sum up and highlight the, the key things that have come out from each of the discussions so yeah. to answer, that's a very long answer to your question which was who should be involved <laughs> and yeah, then I'm saying, I think everyone everyone should have a chance to comment right right so should this lesson then be documented do you feel it should be documented or just spoken and then everybody go goes their way oh that's a good question I'm ideally documented because then hopefully the start of the next project you should be looking at what past projects have learned so that you are setting your own next project up for success by learning from what's worked on other projects. Yeah. If you keep that information in people's heads, they will learn from it and they will grow through that experience because they've lived it. But you're not actually benefiting anybody outside of the team who wasn't in the room with you. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if we want to share, if we want to create organisations where knowledge is shared freely and mm -hmm. where we mitigate against people's people leaving and their brains are full of amazing knowledge. There's such a knowledge drain, isn't there? You lose a subject matter expert or someone retires right. or, or just gets another job and all that knowledge goes somewhere else. The more we document, the more we share, the better it is to spread that learning around the team. Yeah. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. I think that, that will be all for my, for my questions for you. And But would you like to talk about, would you like to share uh, a kind of parting words with, with us today? Maybe we didn't touch on some things you would love, love us to hear about, please. I think project <laughs> management is such an interesting discipline. And one of the things yes. is that we can have this life cycle and we can apply it to virtually anything and we tailor it as well. So if I've said something that doesn't really resonate with one of the listeners or you think it's not going to work in your organisation, then you don't have yeah. to do it. <laughs> you really, really don't. <laughs> to pick something else, change it, make it yours and um, find different ways to just adapt and thrive yeah, so do, do, do what works for you right exactly it's great to have all the theory mm -hmm. and it's also great to have a mentor who can give you some confidence about breaking the rules <laughs> so if there's yeah. someone in your experience who's a bit more ex someone in your organization who's a bit more experienced than you then um, mm -hmm. you can always talk to them if you're nervous about tailoring a particular approach in a way that makes it change from what you've been taught or what 
we, we've discussed yeah. today. Because I think most stakeholders care about the end result more than they care about how we get there. As long as you're mm -hmm. not doing anything illegal or unethical, they're normally yeah. okay with any of the choices that you make. <laughs> so it, get the they want the result, they want the deliverable, they want the business value. And if you get there by not having a quality plan, if you get there by having part-time workers when the rest of the organization is all full-time, I don't know, whatever, whatever compromises or choices you have to make. In my experience, project sponsors, customers tend to judge by what we deliver. Deliver, and, yeah. And, and how we get there is is less interesting to them. Although obviously we know repeatable standardized processes help us deliver a repeatable mm -hmm. standardized quality result. Thank you very much for your time, Elizabeth. It's, You're very it, welcome. It, it, yeah, if, yeah, if I anyone... <laughs> no problem. <laughs> if anyone wants more project management tips and tricks, there's a whole load of stuff, including this, this life cycle on my website, which is rebelsguide2pm.com, or you can All find right. me on LinkedIn. Yeah. Yeah. I'll make sure I put that in the description of the podcast so people can oh, thank go you. to the link. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thank you for your time, really. Thank you. I and I hope that you you join us again on another session. I would love to discuss um project scope with you some other time. Right. Well let me let me know and um yeah, I'll be happy to chat that through with you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you very much. Okay, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Speak Project Management Podcast. We trust you had a great listening time. All episodes of the podcast are jointly prepared by Adekunle Ayodele and Oyewole Uluatosin. Until we meet again on another episode, keep speaking project management.